You're listening to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 40. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, Brian and I invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we dig into it, roll it around a little bit, get an idea of what shape it's about to come into, and uh, fine-tune it into a solid and writable story, what Dave and I like to call literary Literary gold. gold. Yes. Yes. We're getting better at that. That's awesome. Yeah, I figured I'd just stop waiting for you. (laughs) See, maybe I'm hungry, but when you said roll it around a little bit, I thought in flour. I, you know, that's that was what was in that, my head. So we I was projecting <laughs> that. I was thinking of like dough, and you know, we're going to knead it, yes, and let it rise, and then put it yes. in the oven at four hundred degrees for half an hour, and bake it down into a crispy crouton-like substance. Awesome. You, know, you, I, you just you just totally ran me over. I appreciate that. That's great. Sorry. You sorry. took what I offered and you turned it into something better, which is what we do here. So th- that's okay. Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it better. We're throwing it in the fryer. <laughs> We're gonna deep fry that sucker. Well, Brian, uh, we have we uh, I I have had a personal milestone occur this yeah. this morning. Um, I just retired my first notebook of note taking for these workshops. Ooh. I, I filled an entire, you know, college ruled pad that I have sitting here on mm-hmm. my desk that I always take my notes on for each workshop. I just no. burned the last page with the last recording, so I'm starting a fresh new pad. That's that's a that's a milestone. That's that's an account. And you know what? I I'm looking like on my desk I've got this pile because I use printer paper. Ah, you know? okay. And, and, and then when I'm done, I, I just, I keep it in a pile and I've, I've been looking at it. I'm thinking we need to like auction this off. Oh, that you know? will, yes, absolutely. Like your notebook and my collection of random papers. <laughs> the only problem is that I do tend to doodle and there's a lot of like eyeballs and, you know, dripping, oozing things all over my paper. Uh, we'll, and we'll put a, we'll put a parental warning on there, which will just make it sell right. better. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, speaking of parental warnings, no, that doesn't apply to our guest host. Well, maybe I. Well, just be warned. Uh, let, let's go ahead and bring our <laughs> guest guest host onto the onto the the mic here. Uh, you met him uh, in the twenty minutes with segment a few days ago. Uh, author of the Worker Prince, the Returning, the Exodus, uh, and also Abraham Lincoln, Dinosaur Hunter, editor of Space Battles, Full Throttle, Space Tales, and so many more. Uh, musician and host of the not at the same time at the science fiction and fantasy writers chat on Twitter Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Dear friends, please welcome back to the big comfy chair at the round table, Mr. Brian Thomas Schmidt. Brian, thanks for returning and helping us workshop a story today, sir. No problem. And thanks for setting it up that people are going to ask me how I do music on Twitter now. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm a conversational opener, man. That's just how I roll. It's part of my job as professional herald for, for the right. rich and famous. So I, I was always I, thinking it's more of a carnival barker, but <laughs> that works too. I, Herald I just schedule my tweets and I play music in the background while they post. Ah, see, there's a rhythm. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a, there, yes, absolutely. The That's cadence right. of Twitter. 
I have uh, the soundtrack of my life. Oh, it's 140 <laughs> characters at a time. How appropriate for you, sir. So, so Brian, let me ask, man. I, I, you've, you've, you're, you're writing a book. You're, you're editing stuff. You've got children's books coming out. You've got so much going on. Please share with our listeners, if you would, what's coming up in the coming weeks and months. What, what's your day planner looking like, sir? My day players, I had to actually go buy a day player because I've been winging it for a while and I can't keep track of everything anymore. And I was like, holy crap, I was supposed to edit that and it's not done. And they're, oh, they want it tomorrow. Uh Oh yeah. I, I had to get a little bit more organized cause I've actually, I, you know, for a while now I've done freelance. Um, I'm, uh, and, and kind of just gotten a few things in here and there and been looking for a regular job. And now it's at the point where this could be my regular job. So I'm having to get more organized. Actually, um, I am at, uh, working on Beyond the Sun, which is a Kickstarter anthology just funded a couple weeks ago that I just sold to Fairwood Press. So that'll be out next July. Robert Silverberg, uh, Christine Catherine Rush, Mike Resnick, Nancy Kress, and a whole bunch of really great authors are going to be in that. And that's Space Colonist Stories. And then um, I've got some other anthologies I'm working on, including a military fantasy one with Jennifer Brozak, uh, a, a spec noir one with John Helfers, and another one about first encounters from an other world perspective, like non-Western, that I'm working on as well with, with, with John Helfers. And, and then beyond that, I'm finishing up The Exodus, which is book three of my Dobby Ree saga. I have Dune Man, which is book one of my Dawning Age epic fantasy, my first epic fantasy series, which needs to be polished. And then I need to query agents and try to find a publisher. And then I've got, like I said, the Abe Lincoln book. I've got a couple more joke books in the, in the pl- pipeline. Um, like you said, I've got a lot going on. And then, of course, Science Fiction and Fantasy Writer Chat is every week at Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time for an hour live on Twitter. But I also get ready to launch a podcast with that. Oh, and Really? Oh, yeah, we're, cool. hope, we're hoping to launch a podcast. We're supposed to have Terry Brooks on as our first guest, and we're going to be doing that. Uh, that should be coming out sometime in, in, in the first of the year. And uh, so that'll be one, once or twice a month we'll be doing segments for that because of, I just have too much going on to try to do more. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you, do you do cons at all? Do you attend conventions? I do, but I, I just put some cons on my schedule. I don't know for sure. Nothing is set yet for next year, with the sole exception of the fact that I know I'm going to go to Worldcon. Worldcon was so fantastic this year, I have to go. So I will be at Lone Star Con 3 in San Antonio in August. Before that, we're going to try to launch Beyond the Sun at ReaderCon uh, in Burlington, Massachusetts in July, if we can get there for that. I know I'll be at Conquest 44 in Kansas City in May, which has Patrick Rothfuss, George R. R. Martin, uh, uh, Patricia Reedy, uh, John Picaccio, and a whole lot of cool people. Uh, beyond that, I don't really know what my con schedule is going to look like. It's all pretty tentative. But those Conquest is local here in Kansas City, so I'll definitely be there in May, and, and I'm definitely going to be at the World Con in August. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure all of that fabulosity gets into the liner notes so Definitely. that everybody can, can stay on top of all that. That's, that's very cool. Um, g- gentlemen, at this point, I'd, I'd like to, to pause uh, for just a moment uh, and, and share some, some precious pod time uh, with another fabulous podcast or cool ebook or Kickstarter project or any of the other amazing things that are going on out there in the world. But when we're done with that and we return, we're going to workshop a story. Sound good? Sounds brilliant. Cool. I I like it too. I think it's a great idea. So friends, you stay where you are. We will be right back. This is Christoph Laputka, author and creator of the Leviathan Chronicles. 
Do you want to learn how to make your own audio drama? The best thing about the whole process is that nobody appreciates it but us. You're not singing and you're not in a band, then you should not be using a, a mic that's too good because it, it picks, picks up, up everything, right? Everything, yeah. right? Uh, you know. Do you want to learn more about directing voice actors? A lot of, for me, it is a performance, and I, I appreciate it when somebody else delivers a performance and uh, recognizes that, that, that this is some kind of art form and not just something that we're doing as a little community to uh, to get stories out there. Do you want to take your podcast to the next level? Well, this is supposed to be a superior way to do it. It's just that if you're using the kind of free software that's available for a, a PC, you probably haven't done this before because it's not really convenient to do. Something. Mm-hmm. But most people don't realize that you release under a non-com no derivatives license. That doesn't mean that you can't then take what you did and go not just publish a book, but adapt it for the screen. Hmm. Or um, sell the podcast that you've recorded to the BBC for um, broadcast in Hmm. another country. Mm -hmm. Then you need to tune in to the Full Cast Podcast with Brian Lincoln and Abigail Hilton. The best place to get information on the production and assembly of great podcasts and great audio drama. I mean, talking to you guys, everyone I talk to, I feel like I've learned something from. Everyone's got their strengths and backgrounds. Different people have a background in music or in film or, you know, I'm in science, so maybe I would be the kind of person that might try to actually design some sort of a noise reduction filter from raw code. Not that I have, but... Tune in to the Fullcast Podcast. Our website is fullcastpodcast.com. And we're back, lords and ladies, and moving into the workshop proper with a brand new writer to come in and offer up some writerly goodness that we might be able to uh, move into the realm of literary gold. So, Dave? Yes? Who do we have? Oh, well, our guest writer for this week's episode uh, is, is one of those people who affirms that there is actually real estate in California that isn't coastal. Uh, he makes his home in inland suburbia, California, uh, uh, but apparently doesn't see a lot of it. The man, the man is rocking the, the cyber age in a major way. Uh, in addition to writing, he's also a time hunter, uh, capturing slices of elusive moments through the wonder of photography. I just came mm. up with that. Time hunter. That's awesome. Photo- yeah, I, I kind of like time that hunter. too. Yeah, really. I'm wow. writing that down. <laughs> Get that in your margins. There you go. Now draw yep. little dribbly things dripping off of it and eyeballs. Dripping eyeball. Good, yes, good. Okay. Good. Okay, got it. Uh, he's also <laughs> written two novellas. One of them very cool uh, called Dragon Run is a Dungeon Crawl Fantasy Tale as Reality TV, which I think is awesome and I hope is out there in the real world because I want to read that bad boy. Dear friends, welcome to the writer's chair here at the Roundtable Podcast, Mr. Jason Ramsey. Jason, thank you, sir, so much for offering a story for our for our workshopping delight. We really appreciate it, man. Well, thank you for having me. And I am putting Time Hunter on my business card now. excellent excellent that's all yours man welcome to the world of the dave robinson introductions where you have to change your business card right after (laughs) (laughs) my my work is done here i ride off into the sunset whistling a melancholy tune that's very cool (laughs) um jason uh uh 
tell us, man, you, you've, you've got the photography vibe working for you. You're obviously uh, pursuing uh, literary delights. What, what, got to, what, what feeds you in, in this regard? How'd you get into this whole uh, creative madness? Uh, short version, my brain won't shut up with ideas, and writing's the most efficient way to get them out. Fabulous. That is, and I cannot think of a better reason uh, or a better format to help purge those boiling ideas than literary literary pursuits. That's awesome. Um, and uh, you've got a story for us, so let's get into the let's get into the workshop portion, shall we? Sounds good to me. Excellent. We are going to give you, sir, five to eight minutes. Uh, give us the the title if you have one, uh, the genre, the format. Is it a short story, a novella, a series of novels, however you see it laying out? Uh, introduce us to the world if it's a strange or unusual place. Uh, let us get to know the characters a little bit and then give us some basic signposts of the story itself. Basically all the rich writerly goodness we need to have an awesome workshop. The mic is all yours, my friend. All right. So this does not have a title yet, unfortunately. It is a novella, hopefully around 40,000 words. The basic elevator pitch, you know, tagline, whatever you want to call it, is a librarian with a gun brings knowledge to the wastes. The basic setting is post-apoc. The main difference being it's not from, you know, bombs dropping, plague, or any, you know, one-shot, one-and-done. There was a long, like, generation-long slog of a war. The whole place is down to, like, a feudal system, almost, across the entire planet. And manufacturing abilities vary tremendously. There's no phones. You do see, you know, you got cars. All military stuff, of course. Everything's by radio. And a few other interesting cultural bits. The major characters are Samuel Tome can basically be described as take a gritty cowboy and put some glasses on him. He's noble, but not good. Again, you know, archetypical gritty cowboy with a heavy priority on his work over and books and knowledge over individual lives. He's contrasted by Aya, the mayor of the town the story starts in, who's very practical, pragmatic, and can best be described as freedom and liberty at the tip of a sword. The last person to round out the trio is, I've got Jack, with parentheses E, because I'm not sure if it's going to be a man or a woman yet, who's your greenhorn archetype. You're, you know, young, optimistic, never really been tested. Pretty much our audience surrogate to explain things, to change the most, and to otherwise build drama. Our main antagonist is, I've got the Bandit King, who's charismatic, smart, but, you know, hardcore Darwinian survival of the fittest. Very dark mirror of the protagonists. And it's not really a character, but to mention uh, Samuel's work is with, they're called the Printmasters, who can basically be described as librarian monks. They've been working ever since the early days of the Great War, gathering, printing, and distributing knowledge to prevent the kind of, you know, full-on Mad Max scenario. They have certain members like Samuel who go out with books, trading knowledge for any other gained knowledge and supplies to keep themselves running. Going into the actual plot, I've got in the uh, Dan Wells seven points plot technique. Very cool. The intro starts with Samuel on the road, introduces him, the concept of the printmasters. He goes into the town. He's been here before. It's kind of peaceful, calm, quiet. He's on a pass through on a new journey to new places. We have the first plot turn, which as I put down in my plot notes, is bandits in your face blowing shit up. <laughs> we get 
a nice little fight scene. We show the first sign that Samuel is not all theory, that he, you know, that he can use a gun. He's doing it, you know, aiming to disable, you know, being merciful, but he can shoot. The pinch one, the first pinch, some kind of flashbang, tear, you know, tear gas, something that should no longer exist in a world that's been full-on lethal for a generation. Goes out in mass numbers, people go down hard. When Samuel wakes up, the bandits have taken the children and ran. We have the midpoint, which basically involves Samuel, Aya, and Jack are pulled together to go on this, essentially a quest to go get the children back. And we get largely of their interaction kind of meanders at that point. It's more, as well as all the development, showing how they solve problems, that kind of thing. At the second pinch, which I have described as a bandit fucking city, USA. The heroes get there and, you know, whatever it's flashbangs to your guests, whatever can knock you out, the bandits have in large numbers. So Samuel goes down hard allowing, while allowing the others to escape, wakes up tied up in an old jail cell or perhaps some kind of dungeon. Plot two is pretty much, as I put in my notes, in a three-word phrase, fuck that shit. <laughs> he pretty much snaps, goes from trying to disable, be merciful, to killing everybody that looks like a bandit. Just kicking ass, taking names, running battle, manages to contact the others, they meet back up, he gets them in safely. We have the resolution where they confront the bandit king himself, kind of vague on how the actual battle will go. It could be an actual fight, could be more of a debate, could even be laying some kind of trap. But the end result is Bandit King dead. Our heroes walk away with the children. Samuel rides off Western movie style into the sunset. And that's pretty much the whole plot. I do have also a couple of uh, plot elements I'm toying with. I don't know what I want to do with them yet. What do you got? Uh, one of them is playing with the, the sex of the various characters. Like, you know, gender, sex, not, you know, hanky-panky. <laughs> I've done, the last two or three stories I've done have all been, you know, a dude and a chick go do plot. So I kind of wanted to pull away from that, but I'm not sure how to best do that. Okay. Since everything's just skeletal right now, I've also considered different aesthetics. Right now we've got, you know, the Western post-apoc, but I've considered, you know, more of a samurai vibe with swords instead of guns, or even a more heavily developed kind of an urban jungle 80s gang movie kind of thing. Okay. One idea I was toying with is that's called The Black Book, it's basic, the basic idea is the generation-long war has pretty much removed everything between the handgun and the tank. Because if you can't do something with one, you're going to need the other. The idea is the black book is basically a guide to all of those things in between, you know, construction manuals, operation manuals, that sort of thing, that the printmasters might have, or at least have some of, and Samuel might have it, or have at least looked at it. Not sure what to do with that, though. Okay. And then... You know, again, the idea of what I want to do with the climactic confrontation. Right, right. The last big thing is I'm not entirely sure on my arcs for everyone. I mean, you know, Jack or Jackie is obviously going to, you know, do the whole loss of innocence thing. But I'm not sure if I want Samuel to change or be more like the almost archetypical, iconic hero in the same vein as those, you know, Western cowboys. Okay. Okay, there's, there's, there's good, good food to work with here. Um, Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Good pitch. Good pitch. Um, Brian, uh, Brian, if you would be so kind, yes. um, cover our oh, sure. ass if you would. Okay. So, Jason, in the course of 
um, <clears throat> our workshopping of this particular episode and your story, you will hear a lot of things from Dave and myself and from our host, Brian. And uh, you are more than welcome to take anything that we say and regard it as complete and total bullshit because oftentimes that's what a lot of it is. <laughs> However, a lot of it may also be very, very helpful. But as you are the writer, you have the final say in what you use and what you don't. Absolutely. Make sense, Jason? Makes sense to me. Awesome. Very cool. Excellent. Well, it is our custom then uh, to go once around the table with first impressions and some questions of clarification. Uh, and we always defer that honor to our guest host. So, uh, Master Brian Thomas, if you would be so kind, first impressions of Jason's story idea and any questions uh, or clarifications you, you would like to ask. Start us off, sir. Well, I think he's done a really good job of articulating his world. I have a really pretty good sense of at least the setting and and a lot of the possibilities. Now, how it's all going to take shape is obviously very skeletal. So I'm compliments on that, Jason, because, I mean, you you obviously have have pretty much thought through a lot of um, uh, little details that are very helpful. There's a lot of grit there. There's a lot of stuff to, to pull from that you can really use to shape this story. One of the questions I had was, is this set on Earth? I, I, I might have missed that. Is it on Earth or is some other other place that you kind of have made up that has a post-apocalyptic situation? It's uh, Earth unless proven to be otherwise, you know, unless otherwise necessary. Okay. Is there a particular city you have in mind to set it in? Not or, particularly. It's kind okay. of going for, you know, like small towns, vagueness. It's If it is on Earth, it's definitely been long enough that nothing from, you know, 2012 AD is recognizable anymore. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, I, I think that's that was the main thing I wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brian, sure. what do you got for your first thoughts and impressions? Okay. So um, a couple things that are coming to mind. One, um, the the question of gender. Um, the only I have a couple hesitations. One is, I think that Jack could definitely be a Jackie, but then immediately my mind goes to the book of Eli. And yeah. everything in this is almost identical to that, except that the book that he's carrying isn't the Bible. Um, it, because the, you, know, you have the, the kind of um, the mentor character and the, and the protege, and the protege is a woman who, you know, she's, she's kind of green, and she, by the end, she kind of takes on, takes on the mantle and, and uh, continues to carry the torch. But, um, <clears throat> but everything else is very, very similar. And so where we can kind of diverge of from that, have you seen the, the movie? I have not. Oh, it's actually really good, but I I would say watch it just so that you can see what things, you know, what things you're you're moving into that direction with. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And um but then I think that one thing that that will definitely create a divergence would be your your antagonist. And so I want to know more about your antagonist. And one of my the questions that came up, and you may have said this and, and maybe I just missed it, but why do they take the children? Thank you. Yes, that was also one of my questions. I'll admit that is kind of a vague area. Uh, the main thought in my head was basically to raise them as bandits. To, you know, it's not it, it's not a lifestyle you pick. It's the sort of right. thing where you know you so do to kind it of refill their them. ranks. Pretty much. Okay. Which okay. is another thing that could change. All I really need there is a reason to for you know these three to go try and kick ass instead of, you know, bunker down and be safe. Sure, sure. 
And then if if that's the case, then I wonder if maybe there's some kind of um, uh, physical or you know biomechanical manipulation or um, psychological manipulation or something going on that then when he does get into the I'm going to kill everyone who looks like a bandit part of the of the piece he when he does kill someone and then you know takes off whatever gear or whatever they have realizes that it's one of the kids that he's gone there to save or you know just to kind of put an extra layer in um so i, I you know to to add to the idea that it's not just we're going to kidnap the kids and then because of you know the helsinki syndrome or whatever it is that we employ they're going to suddenly do everything that we want them to do um yeah. I, I think you might have to play with that just a yeah, little bit. I think bit. there's, I think there's room for right. exploration there. Yeah, that sure. definitely has some ideas. The original, the original thought in my head was just it was, you know, like full on, you know, like the, you know, almost like the Spartans, I guess you could say. You know, it was right, very, right. you know, drop them in. If you want to live, you're gonna have to basically go full on, you know, amoral, when do whatever it takes to survive. That leads to eventual banditry, but. Right. You know the idea of you know the another way that you could oh yeah yeah and like um have you seen the the first uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie <laughs> really because <laughs> that's <laughs> really cause that's that's kind of where where I'm thinking you could go with it is is that you know the they refilled continually refilled the ranks of the foot um, by bringing in kids and like creating this place where they'd come and they'd play and they'd. You know, I wanted to go there when I saw what it looked like because, you know, there's all kinds of like skateboard ramps and video games and all this stuff and they feed them and, and they let them be, you know, they let them smoke and they let them drink and, and the kids are like, woohoo, no boundaries, this is fabulous. And, and slowly through that, they build that bond with them and then turn them into soldiers. And, you know, so I, I just, I think there, there has to be something more than just we've abducted you if you don't work for us you die because eventually then as they get older there there will probably be some kind of uprising um and maybe that works into the story you yeah. know yeah yeah yep. right now but yeah the idea of more of manipulation does sound fun i can definitely sure. play with a lot that. of ways you can go with it oh yeah. yeah um for myself jason um <laughs> post-apocalyptic stories are are so very cool because they they allow us to strip down uh the essence of of what the culture was into you know different component elements um i love the idea of the print masters um i i think that concept right there you know brian's point is well taken uh the book of eli uh the postman um there are many works that have explored the post-apocalyptic realm, Mad Max, blah, blah. Uh, and uh, especially with Book of Eli, you you will want to see that just so you're not uh, uh, being derivative. But right. that said, I, I don't think, I think with just a few subtle nudges and tweaks, even pushing it a little farther into the future, because Book of Eli was fairly close, sure. uh, a recent uh, apocalypse rather than uh, distance. You can push it farther down the road and create even more cultural distortions that could be very cool, maybe a little more Mad Max-ish. Uh, uh, you know, beyond Thunderdome level stuff. Um, right, right. That was definitely in my mind. Okay, that was your vibe. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, one, one point of clarification I need, Aya. Um, who is she again, and, and what is she doing here? All right, I did not go into enough detail there. Uh, she is ba- the effectively the mayor of the town okay, that the right. story starts in. All right, very good. So, you know, and is when, it a she? So, 
She is a woman, yes. So whenever, okay. right. so when something, whether it's, you know, kidnap children or something else happens, she takes it upon herself to, you know, grab a gun and go kick ass. Right. Right. Okay. Gotcha. She's, it's a frontier town. She's responsible for these people. They will live free uh, and I will kill anyone who tries to do otherwise. Okay. Exactly. That is exactly the archetype. I'm All right. For. Very One cool. more quick uh, uh, clarification question. Is everybody human? I'm because... assuming yes, unless otherwise necessary. Okay. Why do you ask, Brian? Well, because, you know, one of the reactions that I had in, in, in looking at this is there's a lot of possibilities to go way into derivative cliche here. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you know, one of the things, Jay, and, and, and that's not an insult to you, Jason. Uh, it's, it, the reality is there's nothing that hasn't been done before. Pretty much all of us are dealing with that in, in spec fic. And I think the reality of it is um, it's what you do with it that makes it unique and gives you your own voice. One of the things that when I asked you about whether it was on Earth, was that if it's on Earth, I'm going to assume they're all humans. But then when you talk about it being so far beyond that 2012 was not even, you know, we don't even remember, then there's possibilities for other other life forms. We might not even really know what they are. Or mutations. That kind of, yeah, that allow you to take it in some directions that automatically take you away from that cliche. And there's some possibilities there. For example, I mean, you're, you talk about gender. What if Jack, what if we don't know if it's male or female? What yeah. If, oh yeah. What yeah. if it's some Aphrodite? What if I mean I don't I don't know. You know, there's there's all kinds of possibilities there that could open up questions. And for me, one of the key things to remember that I always tell writers is storytelling is asking a series of questions, and what and when you answer them and how you answer them is what makes the story work. Because you're gonna want to leave some questions unanswered until the very end. And that helps propel your story forward. Other questions you're going to want to answer as you go along, which helps drive the pace and twists and turns. So some of those kind of questions like, you know, is this a male or a female, are things you can play with for an entire story that add dimension to it. I love the idea of having yeah. Jack be genderless. Definitely got some room. And, yeah, the mutations kind of going a little more gamma world with it. I could definitely work with that. Yeah. I, I yeah. really like Jack being genderless. Having a gender, being a gendered person, but... The, the the question is raised no one really knows and you know in in a in a society where strength and arms uh uh have become the the measure of your existence and your survival uh having someone not want to you know if if it's female not wanting to give away that they're female because that can be perceived uh, uh, as a weakness by the same token, you know, that might not be a stereotype you want to perpetuate here. You know, having, having the, the, the female, uh, uh, characters be incredibly strong, uh, and having even evolved, not evolved, but, but created a, a culture where that strength is their asset, you know, especially kind of where I was leaning is, yeah. uh, you know, it's not so much a matter of genitalia as you have two hands and a trigger finger. You're good. Right. Let right, me one right. one last thing that I wanted to to bring out here, um, and and I'm seeing uh, Jason uh, a lot of focus on uh, badassery, on weapons. Uh, the Black Book has weapons. People are there. Wow, motorcycle. Weird sound. There's, there's I think there was. Yeah. There's an there's evil lord stuff. moving in. The, the evil lord has landed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Um, there's, there's, uh, a lot of, 
there's a focus here on a very minute aspect of existence and survival, and that being guns, warfare, and fighting. And I want I want to ask before we go forward: is is this that kind of story? Is is this an executioner uh, uh, badass? We we're not going to worry about where food comes from, or the role of religion, or or plans for survival. Is this just let's just shoot a bunch of stuff? Or are you interested in exploring some more substance and depth into the story? Oh, I definitely planned on exploring more of that. It's just I'm kind of a discovery writer or pantser, as people are calling it these days. Okay. And that's the stuff that I usually discovery write. That's the stuff that I'm usually Excellent. playing out by ear. Then then I, I'd like to put to the table that uh, uh, you know Jason has a, he has a handle on and good instincts on on conflict and action. Um, I think it would be very cool if we could supplement and support that with some very cool backstory, some some world building maybe, and uh, a deeper exploration into the Bandit King and his organization, and maybe the Printmasters yeah. as well. Um, but for now, I'm going to turn it back to to Brian. And uh, what what do you got? Let's start. Let's do some what ifs and and, and speculation here. What do you, what are you thinking, Brian? Well, I was I have been pretty much thinking a lot about. The, the if the extremes that you, you could play with if for example the only people who had access to the tank level weapon are government forces of some kind and the bandits are there government forces Jason I mean yeah. not really I was thinking it's like okay. very you know like think feudal era there's you know so okay. there's your local rulers and that's about it city okay, states. So See, if the if yes. the local if the local rulers rulers or what do you want to call them the barons or whatever are the only ones who have access to those high level weapons and the bandits, then you create a situation where the print even the printmasters have to work at a different level, and that creates a lot of opportunity for rising above for heroism. You know, rising above. You know how do you how do you take on somebody who completely outpowers you and outguns you? There's a lot of opportunity there um, to, to to play with this. Hold on, hold on, just a second, Brian. Jason, can you close a window or something? We're getting a lot oh, of bleed over. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm seeing if There's I can. There's a freeway get... in your living Holy room. Holy crap! Yeah, I actually had to. <laughs> sorry, I'm. I actually had to leave earlier than I thought. I'm on a smartphone, but I can keep on going. I'm not the driver, so I'm good. Oh, okay. So you're outside. Yes, I. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that'll be interesting. Um, okay, very good. <laughs> so uh, it's a traveling workshop. It is. It's mobile. It's a true mobile society. On the road with Dave, Brian, and Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Uh, uh, Brian, can you sum up one more time just uh, uh, what you were saying there? Just summary? I don't know. I, I just think one of the things that, you know, this could go one of two ways. You could have this shoot them up between people that are trying to, to figure out who's stronger, or you could make it so that one of them is, starts out with a disadvantage and have, you know, one, one side is, has, has a lot more power and a lot more guns, and the other people have to figure out how to use their brains and outsmart them. There, there are... That's what comes to me from the whole black book concept and the whole handguns and that. You know, if 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 the printmasters have the advantage of having knowledge of the black book, they can maybe make weapons that nobody's seen in a long time 
or they can come up with ways to overpower the weapons that are very inventive and creative that give you a lot of fun opportunity uh, to, to use your creativity, but yet the odds are against them. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's one thing that, that is a what-if that came into my mind in thinking about what you presented as your concept. What do you think, Jason? That was definitely uh, one of the realms I was playing with, with the Black Book concepts, was something definitely something like that. Okay. Was having that kind of hardcore imbalance. and okay. the, the idea in my head was that it, at least the one that Samuel would have, if I even used that concept, was definitely going to be personal level stuff. It would be like maybe a plasma gun instead of, you know, ye old Glock, but it would definitely be, you know, something he could make or otherwise, you know, get running and use on foot. Let me let me ask you this, Jason. Uh, in, in your perception of this story and the story you want to tell, do you want it to be whoever has the biggest gun wins? Or do you want to tell a tale where civilization is, is based on something else? Probably more leaning towards the something else. I'm not okay. sure what yet, but... It's definitely kind of where okay. I was leaning. Because, because, and, and I'm not, I'm not denying the fact that that you know, in in these in the, in these troubled times that you're proposing with this with this world, that that defense and protection from bandits and you know mutations, God, who knows what else, toxic waste, whatever out fallout from the from the these long wars, uh, uh, are are inundating the land. Um, but uh, I, I'd like to see the possibility of. I don't know. Exploring something else, uh, other other than the weapons. Brian, what do you? Brian, what do you got, bud? Yeah, let me jump in because I, I I I'm kind of putting all this together in my mind. And one of the things that, um, one of my favorite things to teach uh, as a, as an English teacher is dystopian literature, and we're right in that unit right now. Yeah. Um. And and one of the major recurrent components or tropes of of a dystopian society um, in a post apocalyptic setting is uh, control and having you know trying to control people, trying to make everybody equal, um, or or whatever your your impetus is, whatever it is that you're trying to do, in order to control them, you want to keep them as uneducated as possible. Which may be a really good reason why they keep abducting children, is that children have not yet been educated, and so that's also another uh, piece to make these two two societies. Um, diametrically opposed is you have the one that is the bandits and they're trying to control um, their own people to to go and steal and do whatever they want to do and then you have these librarians or, or this this other group that is all about knowledge and is all about learning and so they're going to constantly kind of be at each other's throats yeah. um, and I think that That's, that'll add kind of another layer to it definitely. so um, definitely kind of where I was leaning okay yeah yeah, so if you play that in, and, and so another thing is you could have the bandits not only going and, and stealing stuff, but they could be burning down these libraries or these, these homes of, of you know, and, and so the librarians keep having to shift where they're keeping all the knowledge or keeping anything right. that they print, you know, um, because the, the bandits keep getting into it and burning it down. So finally Sam is like, fuck this, I'm just going to go kill them all. Because knowledge then becomes the big threat. See, right. the, the bandits rely on power and, and brawn... To, to control everybody, but people with knowledge can outsmart them. They've got a problem. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just what came to me from what Brian's saying. 
Yeah. Sure, and there, there's your ironic situation, is that then the bandits, in order to get this ultimate weapon to finally get rid of all of the librarians, they have to read it. They have to get the book, you know? And so now you have kind of that, that really nice interplay of that whole thing. But I do think, I, I really, really, really want you somewhere to have Sam, like, shoot somebody in the face and then say, I told you to keep your voice down. <laughs> Because he's a librarian with a gun. There you go. He is. Yeah, I will try to work that in. <laughs> there okay. we go. Personal request from the round table. Make sure that happens. Um, no, that's a, that's a, that leads to another question, if you don't mind, Dave. One of the questions that is: Are you going to be? Are you, are, Jason? Do you want to be nihilistic about this and kind of dark, or are you wanting to to put some of that humor in there? Because I think the the tone is going to determine a lot of how you approach the story. Right. I don't think there's going to be some humor. In character humor, not so much, you know, a funny tone to the actual events. But is there hope? Yeah. I would say so. That's definitely, I mean, like, that's the entire reason that I have the concept of the printmasters is, you know, their active goal isn't even so much to have, you know, like, here's how to build a car, how to build a tank. It's stuff like, here's how to build a water filter, here's how to build a radio, here's how to, you know, get, you know, here's some seeds. Here's how to grow them in this crappy soil. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Because there's a lot. There's a lot that you can do with the whole, uh, you know, knowledge versus power thing that can bring some humor into it. There's nothing quite. You talk about badassery. There's nothing quite like the people with the guns look at the people with the swords and laughing like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" And then they get their ass kicked. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that leads me to wonder about this place that Sam is going to and his relationship with Aya. Um, one thing that occurred to me uh, as, as we were talking, I'm listening to all the wonderful ideas that are getting thrown out there. What if Sam and Aya were lovers in the past and Jack is Sam's son or daughter and Aya hasn't told him? That's definitely got some potential. I definitely figured they had some kind of history. I figured they were definitely going to have sort of the, uh, you could call it playfully hateful banter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and and giving that some substance as a root with a with a with a passionate you know a romance a love affair. I mean, I can see, and and this is this is where I'm going with this, Jason. Um, the print masters are instantly as soon as you hear anybody hears that name, they're going to go, oh, these guys are these guys are awesome because they're preserving knowledge. But that's all they're doing. They're not solving problems. All they're doing is hoarding their knowledge. We don't know if they have a plan to save the world and reestablish civilization or not. Maybe they don't. Uh, If nothing else, it certainly appears, maybe at first blush, that all they're doing is hoarding information. The only gold that's left of meaning in the world as, as, as... both Brian and Brian have pointed out is guns and knowledge. And the printmasters are hoarding one of those, those precious items. The bandit King represents that other end of the spectrum. And I think if we elevate his order to beyond just a, a petty fiefdom, but a genuine potential for unification uh, of the world, then that makes his menace that much more sinister because not only is it this town now that's at stake, but they are growing to the point where our whole world could be this dark dystopian control ridden might makes right type of world, which nobody wants. 
Now, right. uh, a little less bad, it's a little more legion kind of thing. Very much so, exactly. Um, which also then gives them motivation for stealing children and so on. The the thing is that you know I can see Sam and Aya in their youth both being idealists and both believing that, yes, the printmasters are right. Aya is the daughter of the mayor and Samuel is an apprentice printmaster monk gun-wielding dude and they're both, you know, Sam always keeps coming back here. Um, but as they grew older, Aya realized that the printmasters were not the answer, that all they were doing was hoarding. They weren't affecting change. Uh, uh, the, there's growing strength of the various banded kingdoms. Nobody seems to be moving forward and looking beyond their own boundaries. And maybe Aya is one of those freedom visionaries who sees, a, a bigger world and, and not naively. I, I, I don't, I think in order for her to be a, a suitable companion pairing uh, and even a, a, a foible for, for Samuel, she needs to have a leg to stand on. She needs to have conviction and, and even some proof that her way, her vision of, you know, maybe, maybe she started communicating with other freedom uh other freeholds and city states in the area maybe she started you know in postman the thing that started unifying people was the mail uh let's not go there let's not recreate that but maybe just communication and trade uh, uh she's actually started the first trade hub that's burgeoning and growing in some way uh, uh, and she's actually achieving success. And then when the bandits come in, not only do they take children, but they also, you know, seize, uh, uh, goods and stores and warehouses. Maybe there's a school right. that's being built, something along those lines. I don't know. What, what do you think, Brian? Is that, is that doable? Oh, absolutely. And I, I was even thinking that, you know, there needs to be sort of a strained relationship between Aya and maybe one of the head printmasters and, where the printmaster is involved in something that gets in their way um, of all of this, of everything that you just said. You know, maybe the printmaster makes a deal with, um, like the head printmaster makes a deal with the bandit king behind their back and thinks that he's doing it for the good of, of you know, whatever, but he's been fooled by them. And so now they have to deal with that as well. Um, but no, I love that. I think that yeah. that's, that's a, a, a great way to go because then it, we, because realistically, like, you know, Aya was mentioned, and then I didn't hear anything else about her. And it, it sounded like a cool concept for a character, but it didn't sound like she really had much involvement in what was actually going on right. in the storyline. And so, yeah, I think that's a great way to bring it in and actually make her an active participant. Jason, what do you think? Does that have, does that structure, the, the, that concept for Aya, does that work for you in, in the story you're trying to tell? Yeah, I mean, there is definitely some room there. I'm not so sure about the idea of the head printmaster being corrupt, because that goes a little too deep into, you know, Brotherhood of Steel from Fallout territory. But mm, sure, yeah. There's, yeah, that's really one of the more realms we're trying to avoid. Well, and he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily have to be corrupt, but he could be one of those right. people that is so closed-minded and so narrow-visioned in... This, this gathering of tomes, even to the detriment of other people. You know, maybe, uh, uh, <laughs> maybe one of the, oh, <laughs> what, what if the reason that Samuel is coming to the village is because the print ma and the printmasters haven't told him that, is that, that they have come to commandeer some books and tomes that Aya has been using for a school 
that she's building. And now Samuel finds himself torn between, you know, his relationship with Aya and his loyalty to the printmasters. But before that, ha- he has to actually act on it. The bandits strike, saving him from make- having to choose between one or the other. Sure. That sure. definitely has some room to play with, and I like the idea. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and another thought, probably not related, an alternative to that would be um, something along the lines of, like, the... The bandits, the the bandit king and his his facility have expanded so much that they've gotten too close to the the printmaster's stronghold. There have been incursions in that region, and the printmasters are concerned about their their library of Alexandria, so they're moving it. Right. They're moving it to a different location, and oh God, maybe that's. <laughs> uh, maybe that's what's happening. Maybe, uh, maybe not the whole library, but a large chunk of it. It's it's being distributed, and this is you know there's a huge wagon of of tomes and texts. God, maybe even some some old computers or some electronics that they they've pulled together. Who knows? Uh, uh, and that, in addition to the children, is what the bandit king has stolen. Mm-hmm. That gives right. everybody that- a strong motivation to get in there. Yeah, that, I definitely like that. There is a lot, I like that a lot. I was toying around with, I knew Samuel was definitely going to have a priority of, you know, I'm just doing this to be able to get back to my work. But the idea of having his stuff actually actively taken has a lot of room to play. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because he needs a really strong motivation to do what he does. Um and I think that, that that adds to it, you know. And the whole thing about the printmaster, I, I don't think he needs to be nefarious. What I what I was trying to say is that if he just doesn't see what Sam or what Aya are doing as the best way to go about it and has his own idea of how to save everything, but it is in direct opposition to what Aya and and Sam have to do then that just adds another piece of conflict that they have to deal with so that might be it is that he's moving this and in moving this it gets stolen sure and you know and and he's also using as a recruitment thing and he's and he's gathering books through each community as he goes it's almost a pr thing i mean all of that stuff yeah and friends uh you may have noticed that that brian thomas schmidt has been notably silent which is very uncharacteristic for him um we lost his his skype line uh we waited for a bit for him we haven't seen him come back uh and and that's never happened before and it's a very sad thing um, but, uh, we're, we're going to plunge forward, hope he reconnects, uh, and keep workshopping Jason's story. And, and Jason, I wanted to add, to, to ask you, um, what kind of POV are you looking at for this? Are we talking a single POV with Samuel? Uh, uh, is it third person close first person? What do you, what are you thinking for the story? I honestly hadn't decided yet. My gut instinct was to go first person, but I'll be honest. The main reason was more that I haven't done that before than because it necessarily fit the story best well let me let me let me offer this let's let's look at a multi-piv story um you had talked and i think very wisely about having jack uh uh being the young kid uh who uh serves as a a useful tool for the audience to to learn things the kid asks questions and thus the audience learns what if it's a dual pov uh what if it's sam and jack and if we go with a genderless Jack, and not a genderless Jack, but a Jack whose gender is not specified, that could be a real challenge, an intriguing challenge for you, 
in terms of telling it, especially if Jack is one of the POVs. But have Jack be captured with the kids. Yeah. When the bandit takes them away, and then you can cut to Jack, and you have this wonderful opportunity to present all of the stuff that the Bandit King is doing firsthand from deep inside the organization. What do you think? It's an interesting concept. I, I'm a little hesitant just because, you know, that falls deeper into the same realm with my last couple stories of, you know, a dude and a chick do plots. But... Well, we still have... Go ahead. True. It's, it's just, you know, like, then all it is is just, you know... Sam and Aya, where, you know, that's kind of the main reason I had Jack as a character was to be that, you know, the third, third leg of the elements to kind of right. tie it all I, you together. Know, I, to, I, I think that, that, it would, that it would work, um, especially if we go back to, to what Dave was saying earlier about um, Jack possibly being Aya's child. Um, I don't know about Jack being Sam's kid too sure that might be too easy or too too it might be yeah it might be a little too much but but then what what is nice about that is that if jack is taken then that is aya's primary motivation for for getting in and yeah but but maybe doesn't mention anything about it to to sam and maybe you know because sam is going back to get the books he's going back to get the, to, to retrieve the, the stolen library and she goes along with that as a sort of pseudo motivation without letting him know that, that her real motivation is to get Jack back um, and sort of using Sam as that vehicle and maybe then it is that, that Jack is Sam's kid. The other thing that I wanted to point out though is that um, if you are doing the whole genderless thing and I hate that we keep going back to like well that's from this and that's from this and that's from that but in Pitch Black there's a character named Jack that is a girl who pretends to be a boy uh, because she can you know she's treated differently and all of that and they don't find out that she's a girl until the main character I, I won't go into that but anyway they find out that she's a girl and that becomes a problem because the creatures on the planet smell blood and Right, yeah. right. Yeah, well, and, and you know, I, I think we can work with that. I, I think, you know... Absolutely. Change, change it's just the name, the name Jack. Well, yeah, I don't change know the name, whatever. That, that's mutable. Absolutely. Right. Names can be changed. It's Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. The, the other thing is, I, I totally get what you're saying, Jason, about uh, a guy and a chick do plot. Um, but Jack doesn't have to be necessarily that, that foible, that third or even fourth wheel. Um, if, if we are going with the idea of, of a shipment of knowledge moving across the land, uh, uh, there could be um, initiates and other kinsmen of, of the order with Samuel. Uh, there sure. could be... One uh, of the print masters. Sure, absolutely. Can, can be a part of that, a friend, a good friend of Samuel's. Or maybe, maybe he's got a Padawan. Maybe he's got, or he is a Padawan. I forget what that term means. Um, no, yeah, maybe he has a, an apprentice that he's training, right. uh, uh, and, and which would lead to a, a wonderful uh, sort of mentor-like uh, experience for this other character. Um, there could also be somebody in the, in the town. Uh, there can be other characters that embody different aspects. Uh, uh, you know, a, a mother and father whose child is taken, a merchant, a greedy, greedy sure. merchant whose goods have been stolen by the bandits, and he, by God, he's going to find out and find, get along there and, and find out what's going on. Or, or a warrior 
who has has you know been seeking vengeance against the bandit king for years because of some grievous wrong. There's lots of characters that can be you, woven in here. You gave me a really really cool idea. Yeah, go. Okay, so um, what if the character that, that goes along with them is a documenter? It's someone who is a printmaster but is documenting the events and can be kind of the comic relief and the, you know, the bumbling monk kind of a, of a character. And then at the end, you know, you're writing it in Sam's point of view um, and you know, how, he, how he sees it and it's I this and I that. And then at the, at the end of the story, there are notes from the documenter that completely change what actually happened. Walk Does me, that make that, sense? That, that sounds intriguing, but I'm not, I'm not sure I'm tracking notes that change what actually happened. How so? Yeah, so, so it's being told, because anytime that you use a first-person point of view, you have to deal with the fact that, that the narrator may be unreliable, you know, and that the things right. that the narrator right. is saying may not have happened exactly the way that they're being said. And so through the notes at the end that the documenter took along the way, you discover that that certain events didn't necessarily happen the way that the narrator said that they did, and it changes aspects of the story and makes it a totally different story. Right, right. Hold on, hold on, just a second, gentlemen. Let's let's uh, let's get Master Schmidt back into the into the mojo here. He's back. I'm back. And I'm back, and I'm more badass than ever. Sweet. Woo-hoo. Well, we we uh, we 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 waited a little bit, uh, uh, Brian, and then we we kept workshopping because we just couldn't wait. Um, uh, yeah. But I'm I'm glad you're back. Uh, uh, we're we're exploring. Um, holy crap, uh, uh, Brian! Just re- recap what you were just describing because it it was a very cool idea. Okay, so <clears throat> and so then what I was thinking is if at the end of the story you just have documentation notes or or whatever it is that as you read through them you start to realize that the story is not what Sam how Sam told it. Um, certain things that Sam says happened didn't happen exactly the way that he says happened. And then by the end you realize that the entire story is actually very different than the story that was just told to you. That's a cool twist. So I... Sam, is, Sam is an unreliable narrator. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And, and so his unreliability gets revealed in the notes that the documenter, who may just be comic relief throughout the main part of the story, is told... Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, yes, there's an opportunity for comic relief, certainly. But one thing that that, that idea touches on is the hierarchy of the printmasters. <clears throat> you know, maybe they've got historians who are tracking, who are who are preserving history and also documenting as much as they can. Maybe they have historians in right. every freehold. Every city-state has one of these printmaster historians. Um and, and then you can also have researchers who are researching old tech and trying to put it together. You've got, uh, uh, you know, which, which would also, you know, another reason why this town maybe is so important is because of resources. Maybe there's minerals here that, or, or chemicals or something that's needed for uh, the creation of some technology that the printmasters want. But just that whole notion of a hierarchy of printmasters, I think, fleshes them out a little bit more. So. Sure. The real mind fuck that comes in if you if you do something along the lines of the documentary and it changes the story at the end is the idea that maybe the documenter is also unreliable, and then which one do you really believe is the true story? See, that's, that's what I was just going to say. That would be an interesting yeah. twist. What if the what if there's some past antagonism yeah. between the documenter and Sam or something? Maybe maybe I mean my originally what I was going to say is instead of making Jack a son, make it 
Aya's new lover or something. But my point is, uh, even if we don't, even if we don't know what gender it is, that would still be interesting. But my point is that, uh, yeah, have there be questionable motives on both sides, so you don't really know the truth. Then the, then the readers have to wonder. That's a really intriguing way to go. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I'm not positive on that idea yet, but it's definitely something I'll keep in mind. It's definitely interesting. Yeah. Okay. It'd be a lot of work, and I don't, you know, that's why we say every, any and everything that we say <laughs> can be complete and total bullshit. So you have every right to step on it and go, there's no fucking way. Yeah. The difficulty of it is my main concern. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Well, so. but I, 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 it's an interesting challenge. If nothing else, Jason, it might be a cool writing exercise. Sure. Uh, uh, to, you know, a little, a little side writing that, that maybe doesn't end up in the story, but helps explore and expand some of the nuances and, and depth of the various characters. But uh, see, this right. is why this is why Brian and Dave and I want to be on this side of the table. We don't have to. <laughs> we don't have to do it. That's your problem. That's we right. We just get to make problems for you to have to solve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, and and you know some of the coolest, neatest stories have that work involved in them. I mean, there, there have been stories where uh, a character has a gender, but the reader never knows what that gender is. And my God, the pronoun usage, the, the, the way that you would present that to preserve that mystery, uh, you know, as a writer, I, I find that utterly intriguing in terms of how you would do that and, and the effect it would have on the, the reader and their perception of the story. Well, so. the, compl- the complexity of writing it is... In part because you, as the author, have to have to know what the truth is. You have to keep right. your handle on what the truth is all the time, or you can't make them unreliable. Right. Because yeah. because yeah. if they're going to be unreliable, they have to depart from the truth. So you have to know what the truth is. So right. And and help and help explore that truth and reveal that truth through events and other things to point out that instability, that unreliability. Right. And that's what makes the complexity of it because you basically have to. Know, have to deal with three versions of the same story, which is, sure. sometimes, it's, sometimes <laughs> it's hard for me with all the complexity I usually try to work in. It's hard enough to deal with one. <laughs> so. Yeah, and the the other big problem is this is supposed to be a novella, right? Right. Well, and we're turning it into like <laughs> some kind of epic. Well, it, I gotta be I gotta be honest with you though. From from the from minute one when Jason told me the story, mm-hmm. uh, after he was done telling the, telling his um, little description of it, I was like, this is not a novella. This is a novel. I don't know how you can do this big of a story in a novella very easily. It's going to be hard. It would be a challenge. And and, and to to give it that that substance and stability, I don't know. Uh, uh, There's a, I mean, post-apocalyptic stories always have a fair bit of world building that needs to go into them because there's always the question of how did we get here and is there hope that we will restore civilization or is this the end of the world? Yeah. Uh, And and that... Although... Very rarely is that question ever answered in dystopian literature. True. Well, and here's a, here's another thing, Jason, uh, to keep in mind as a practical matter. Do, you know, I'm a pantser too. Don't let your don't let your um, let your story dictate what length it has to be. Don't go into it saying it's going to be this and 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 not be open to the fact that it might have to be something else because you'll write right. a better you'll write a better story that way. But the other thing about it is the novella market for new writers is very. Uh, very limited and tough. So, um, you know, if you could do more with it, you you, you actually ha- have more opportunities in some ways. Right. And I would not be surprised if it grows an extra, you know, couple thousand words. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. One I told you guys about, the reality TV one, managed to grow an extra 10,000 before I was done. So. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, a couple thousand words of growth is a conservative estimate, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. mojo here. Yeah, gentlemen, um, I'm looking at the clock. I'm watching it tick down slowly. So I'd like to kind of urge us into the final phase and and take one more trip around the table, uh, throw out any last ideas, and and give Jason um, some 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 wisdom and some some urging and insights to to send him off so he can go and write this fabulous tale. Uh, uh, Brian Thomas, if you would be so kind, uh, final thoughts, ideas, uh, and and urgings for for Jason. Well, Jason, if you do decide to go with the unreliable narration thing, one thing you need to remember is that every one of those characters is the hero of their own story. The Bandit King thinks he's the hero. Samuel thinks he's the hero. So Jack, or whoever the third character is, is going to think he's the hero. Aya thinks she's the hero. So the point is, when you tell that point of view from any of those people, they're going to they're gonna have a tendency to make themselves out to be a hero, which in and of itself is a, is a tendency to be unreliable because you want to paint yourself with a nicer brush than you really appear. So that that's one technique that if you decide to do that, you could use that would make that easier. Because, you know, when you're telling the story about yourself, yeah, most of the time you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, I was I was a jackass, you know. <laughs> like, I, was mis- I was misunderstood. If they'd have just understood where I'm coming from, they wouldn't have got so upset. Right, right. <laughs> you know, yep. so that's, that's one thing to keep in mind with that. Um... And, you know, the other thing I was going to say is, you know, do feel the freedom to to kind of to kind of keep letting it um, letting it letting it come out as it comes out and then fix stuff later, because you can always if you spend too much time going back, trying to fix everything as you write, you'll never get it done. So if right. things come up, right. and you need it, what I do, I do this all the time. I'll get to a point where I'm like, I'm stuck. I can't do this. So I'll just change something to make it happen to say, okay, i got to go back to Chapter 4 and fix that later. So I set it up. And I make a note, and I fix it in the second draft. And and so there's things that you can do as you approach it um, with everything you've got going on here that allow you to keep going and pressing forward without getting stuck that I would recommend you keep in mind because you do have a lot to deal with here. It's very rich, but that also makes it very difficult and some, will raise some challenges too. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah, advice. Absolutely. Excellent advice. Brian. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, well, I think that there's a couple things. One is I think that that um, the Bandit King, because you you do want to throw in you know several elements of badassness through this whole thing, that the Bandit King needs to be really fleshed out so that w- as the characters get closer to to kind of that showdown, um, we know that it's going to be an epic one, and um, you know that he, that he has some some elements of him that we kind of go well. He he's pretty bad. He's a pretty bad dude. But there are some things that we kind of agree with, and we're so so that we're conflicted. But then when it comes down to it, no, we are on the side of Samuel, and and we want him to win. Um, the other thing was uh, as far as the kids go. I think if you create this culture of um, that that there's not much to do in this society in terms of you know when you grow up, other than 
um, kind of like how it's almost two political parties where you've got the librarians and the bandits and these are the sort of the ruling classes and you can be one or the other and I think if I gave any of my students a choice I'd probably have 5% would want to be librarians and the others would want to be van- <laughs> bandits you know yeah. um, because bandits right. just sound cooler and and so that might be another thing where you know yeah he's abducting some kids but there's probably a lot that are just going to him and saying you know what my, my family is starving to death and the the bandit culture may be a means to an end to feed my family because there is that aspect of a post-apocalyptic landscape that food might be scarce, you know, and so that might be a draw for them to to go to that darker side rather than with the librarians um, because books don't feed people necessarily, you know. Right. But yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. definitely got some room to bring a little more gray into it. Sure. Excellent, excellent, and and for myself, Jason. First of all, oh, this is bad. This is superb. This is a rich, yes. rich story yes. environment. Um, uh, one thing I, I always tend to look for for the, the the big forces in play, and and I, I really like the idea of the the, the bandit king. Uh, uh, not being just this guy sitting on a mound of gold going, ha ha, I'm going to take everything and I'm just going to drink and, and eat myself silly because I'm, I'm a hoarder. Having him have a vision of unification, have him be probably the best bet for unification in the world right now and have that be a very scary thing. Making him the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the dragon just in terms of Oh my God, he's going to take over the world. It's and and, and it's going to work, and you can see how it's going to work, and and that's can't be something that we want, uh, uh, ultimately. Although I, I, Brian, you're absolutely right. He has to be somebody that we understand and sympathize with. Um, but having, or, or that just has so much charisma, sure that that we're drawn to him. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, why I, do people why me, do people follow him, and why is he going to be? A formidable foe are the things I think you're getting at. Sure, exactly, exactly. Right. Beyond gunpoint, gunpoint doesn't work. Right. Gunpoint is is weak sauce. It's clown shoes. Uh, let's 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 make it <laughs> let's make it stronger than that. Um, having the printmasters be just as strong and viable a force. Have them you know begin food cultivation. Maybe they've started uh, actually feeding some of the some of the outliers. Make them viable, but and just as convinced of their their righteousness as the bandits uh and then that third element and i i don't know if i articulated that well enough but having aya be the birth of a new unification the the brightest hope of a balanced harmonious uh uh future for the world and and have her be the weakest of the three uh but because she is a primary character we can follow her arc um the other thing that I noticed that we didn't touch on at all that I think bears mentioning is we haven't discussed race. We haven't mm, discussed culture. Uh, right. uh, and, and Jason, in a world uh, of this nature, uh, the opportunity you had mentioned or, or somebody had mentioned, you know, you know Japanese swords uh, uh, and even an Oriental culture, uh, a Hindu culture, uh, uh, Middle Eastern, African. I mean, there are races and cultures that existed prior to the cataclysm that will fight tooth and nail to be preserved. And I think one of the, the rich, richening elements that you could introduce into this community and 
the the printmasters and the bandits is a sense of worldness uh, uh, and don't shy away from having people of color and people of culture uh, represented strongly uh, uh, to give depth and mosaic to the story. So, well, another playing off of that, another thing you can think about too, Jason, is if you've got it so that women, you know, you said something about just needing a, a hand and, and and fingers to be able to you know fight and use a gun or something, but if 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 you have women who are equal to men as far as might and strength and, and badassery, then all of a sudden the whole feminine, feminist movement is gone because it's not an issue anymore. And you might have people who are from old school where the men dominated everything fighting to get to put things back in their proper place, so to speak. Sure, sure, that's yeah. an element I mean, that's as well. A, that's another element that could be played with, you know. I mean, it depends on how far in the future you are, but if you imagine that people are like, oh, the world was so much better when women knew their place... There's a whole other element you could bring in there. Sure, sure, sure. Well, gentlemen, uh, the, our, our, our time has run out, alas. Uh, I'm going to call this to a close. Jason, here's the deal. Uh, when you write this, this epic tale, whether it's a novella or a novel or a series, whatever, however it gets out into the world, whether you ebook it or you podcast it or whatever, uh, get a big six to give you a big tasty advance on publishing the darn thing, let us know and we will bring you back and we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table and we will, we will sing your praises as one who has achieved what so many try and fail to do. That's the carrot, my friend. All right. Sounds good to me. Yeah, us too. Well, and dude, thank you. I know it's never easy to put your, put your babies out there for, for scrutiny from three strangers, but this is a superb tale and you sh- yes. it's creative. It's got mojo and we really appreciate you bringing it up. Thank you, man. Absolutely. And, and Brian, I know we had some problems, technical challenge. This has been probably the most technically challenged episode ever. Uh, we've never done an episode during a road trip. Uh, uh, and, uh, having the internet die so vehemently on, on master Schmidt's line, uh, was also a challenge, but we came through and thank you, sir, very much for, for broadening the scope of the discussion and really bringing a level of, of experience and expertise to the dialogue. We appreciate it, sir. Definitely. Well, I hope I did that, and I, my, it was my pleasure, and I look forward to, Jason, good luck, and look forward to seeing what you're doing with all that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Ah, Brian, wow. Yes. More good stuff. This, There's literary this gold. This was awesome. There was literary gold here. Th- this was one of those, a really good example of um, what, how much fun we can have with a story that it has not necessarily been written all the way yet. Yes, exactly. The, you know? the, the, give us the bare bones, and, and we each, all, all of us brought an aesthetic to it that I think, you know, if nothing else, give Jason a lot of options to choose from. Sure. So, sure, yeah. And, and whether he uses any of them or not, you know, it's, it's going to be rattling around in his brain. And that, if nothing, it may just give that, that little extra layer to the, to the subtext, you know? Absolutely. And that's, and that's so, what the yeah. round table is all about is, is opening that's doors right. and expanding possibilities and exploring those, those dark crevasses of creativity. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, and, and friends, as long as we're spreading gratitude around, as always, we are so grateful for you to be hitting that play button. Um, Thank you so much. If, if you had a good time, if you got good mojo from this, uh, uh, feel free to hit the post 
uh, and and add comments. We've had so many listeners uh, chime in uh, so eloquently and and really continue and expand this, the conversation uh, about this story beyond the confines of the podcast, and we are so grateful for that. A review out at iTunes helps boost our position uh, in the search rankings there and helps people find us. So a review there would be very cool. Um, drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, uh, if, if there's something we can be doing better, we want to know about it. So drop us a line. And several of you have, and we appreciate that. And, of course, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Drop us a line. Like us out there. We'll keep you abreast of all the current events. Now, just because we've wrapped this up doesn't mean it's over. Uh, right. Because even, even though we're, we're sitting here going, wow, that was fun. In a couple of days, it starts anew with new awesome guest hosts, new creative guest writers, new stories to workshop, more writerly goodness and literary gold to unearth. Uh, But that's going to start in just a few days. Between now and then, Brian, what do you think? Oh, man. Well, I would say uh, make yourself a cup of coffee, a cup of hot chocolate, maybe my personal favorite cup of uh, hot vanilla, and light a fire, settle in, make yourself comfortable, and go write. Absolutely. Contact your your local printmaster, get some inspiration from them, and then definitely craft an epic tale. Look for awesomeness. Look for cool. Look for top shelf, because what you look for, you find, my friends. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. We will see you in a couple of days. Until then, be awesome, be amazing, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyrighted 2012 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast or just send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.